This is the hundredth time you've had to listen to this stupid introduction. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Hoy my shit shows. It is episode 100, so you know I'm going to say shit show nation. <laughs> shit show nation number 100. <laughs> oh God, how do you guys listen to me? <laughs> I'm serious. So today... In, of course, in divinely timing, that doesn't make sense, in divine timing, we have more of the tale of two Bryans to to be told today. Uh, So I received a message from a listener who discovered the podcast after she went on her second date with the, yes, the Brian number two, okay? (laughs) If you are new... Go back and listen to the first episode. I think it'll make this episode more enjoyable. But it's messages like these that remind me whenever I am, uh, that feeling of self-doubt comes up within me. It is moments like these that remind me that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and that I don't need to worry, that my higher power is taking care of me. So uh, really excited for you guys to hear this conversation with her. I also wanted to say, too, another divine moment happened a year ago. I shared this on the podcast, but for anybody who perhaps didn't hear me share this, is that a year ago on my birthday, so January 27th, 2022, I received a message from Brian number one. So it had been like, you know, I don't know, five years since I had dated him. And this is what he said. He said, hello. Hope all is well. I've been following you on Instagram and what you're doing is incredible. I'm struggling with alcoholism and have been to 30-day treatment twice since I saw you. And this disease is why I couldn't connect with you. And I'm so sorry for that. Your message is connective, truthful, and no doubt helped many people, including me. So thank you. I wish you success and the best life has to offer. I read that. I had chills. This has been a crazy experience, guys. So I've just been reflecting on the past week and kind of jotting down notes of things that I wanted to share, just things that I've been reflecting upon. And I, I, I stumbled across this email that I wanted to read to you guys. So this is an email that I wrote back in 2019. Um, and it was to this career coach. So he was actually on um, one of the earlier episodes, Ben Kiker, but my therapist had actually recommended that I connect with Ben because she knew that he was like a career coach and I was just kind of in this process of of trying to figure things out. So again, this is the fall of 2019. So this is uh, like two years before I started the podcast. I had no idea that I was going to do a podcast or even was a thought in my mind. So here it goes. Hey, Ben, I'm really looking forward to connecting tomorrow. I did just want to provide some context and background in preparation since I know our time is limited. At nine years sober, 
I hit an extreme emotional bottom centered around my adult child issues, which was showing up through dating. While I had put down the drink, this other manifestation of my disease was alive and well and progressing at full speed. I kept finding myself in horrible relationship after horrible relationship. Most of the friends I got sober with definitely dated some bozos in the beginning. I think most of us do. But after a few years, their pickers improved, and so did the guys they dated. They eventually found themselves in healthy, committed relationships. This wasn't the case for me. Time after time, I would find myself in the same situation, crying and distraught at a friend's house and wondering why this keeps happening to me. And not only did the guys not improve, the impact this was having on my life became more severe and pervasive, just like alcoholism. At seven years sober, I hit an emotional bottom and began to realize that this was related to my childhood. I found out that my mom was an alcoholic when I was eight. My dad traveled a lot for work, and that was when my mom drank the most. I took care of her until I was about 12, which is when I started drinking and acting out and became the clear identified patient of the family. I had always known that my childhood had impacted me, but I really discounted the magnitude because I was never sexually or physically abused. We had money. We were members at the country club. We went on nice vacations. My basic needs were accounted for, and things looked pretty from the outside. So it couldn't have been that bad, right? So I took a year off to focus on myself. I decided to give dating another try a few months before I turned nine years sober. I quickly realized that nothing had changed. I found myself still attracting and attracted to the same dysfunctional energy. My last relationship was with this guy named Brian. I started seeing him in September of 2017, and he was the relationship that allowed me to hit my bottom. Up until this point, I had always dated drunk assholes. (laughs) Brian was a drunk, but he wasn't an asshole. He was a good person at his core and treated me like a queen. That is, when he wasn't drunk. But boy, was I crazier than ever. I found myself taking care of him just like I had taken care of my mom, leaving work at 11 a.m. to pull him out of a bar, being with him over the course of a 16-day around-the-clock bender, and not going into work for two days so I could babysit him while he went through withdrawals at home. It was total insanity. It was during this relationship that I realized I was dealing with something that was just as powerful, if not more, than my alcoholism. That relationship ended in January of 2018, which is when I was brought to my knees and fully surrendered. I was willing to go to any length to change. I googled therapists specializing in ACOA issues, which is how I found Mary. Even though there is still more work to be done, and there always will be, The transformation and healing over the past year and a half has been mind-blowing. I've gotten to know myself on a very deep level and feel more connected to my higher power than ever before. A big realization that has come from doing this work is how much I have been selling myself short. During the course of those nine years, I was only concerned about finding a guy and getting married. That was my sole purpose in life. Nothing else mattered. Not once had I considered what a fulfilling life would look like. Not once had I considered what a fulfilling career would look like. I realized the unutilized greatness within that I was letting go to waste, and it was time for that to change. 
Thus, I embarked on a journey to discover my higher purpose, my true calling. How do I utilize my greatest strengths and assets to their fullest potential? I am aware of the amazing gifts I have within, and now it's time to do the damn thing. It's time to kick ass and be fulfilled. While it is still not crystal clear what that is, I feel like I'm getting closer. I told Mary that my fear is not that I can't achieve my dreams and desires, but that I will self-sabotage and not take the action necessary to make my dreams come to fruition. Really looking forward to connecting tomorrow. So I think at this point, I was, I wanted to get into sports. I wanted to like get into the sports industry in some way. And I'd come to this realization that there was nothing that really made me, there was nothing I was as passionate about as like sports. Um, And so I started like just reaching out to different companies and I even made this, um, I made this little sports mockumentary. I'll I'll include it in, um, in the show notes. It's this like five minute fake documentary that I made just for fun um, called, I called it, it's a cult called Sports Phantology, so like a play on Scientology. Um, I was doing that, and I was applying for all these jobs, and for sports jobs, and then nothing came to terms, and I ended up getting the job that I had when I started this podcast, so then I got into, like, re- recruiting, and I thought, it, I knew it was going to be a better fit for me, because it would at least allow me to use some of my, like, communication skills and people skills more, uh, but, it, it, you know, it was very quickly into the into starting that job that I was like, I don't fucking give a shit about finding people jobs. <laughs> I don't give a shit about accounting. And unfortunately, I don't have this perfectionism thing that so many of us adult children have. And that if I'm not into something, uh, I don't do a very good job. And and then I started the podcast and um, I got fired from that job a little over a year ago, but I knew it was just the universe giving me the push off the ledge that I that I needed. I was about nine months into the podcast when that happened. And so I embarked on this journey to figure out what I was supposed to do. And it was just like slowly like gathering more and more information about myself. And mostly what it was, was these divinely inspired interactions that I was having with strangers uh, in which I would be myself and open up and have just these really, really profound experiences. And one of which being, and I've told this story at least once before, this is a really special story to me. So this was... um. This was probably in 20, 2018. I was on the bus. I was on my way home from work. And there was this gentleman sitting next to me. He was a black gentleman. He was probably in his mid-50s. He was wearing like a neon construction vest. And what was most interesting to me about him was that he was on his phone and that I could see that he was on a dating app. And I could see that this woman had just sent him a message. And what she had wrote to him was... Um, how do you describe yourself? And I could tell he's like sitting there thinking about what to say. So of course I do what no person would do except for me. (laughs) Tell me if you would do something like this. I'm curious. I turn to him and I go, I'm sorry. I can't help myself. What are you going to say? And, um, he did not punch me in the face. (laughs) He turned to me and he said, I'm going to tell her the truth. 
And he goes, and this is the truth too. So then he scrolls up to the message that he had sent to her right before she asked him to describe himself. And what he had said to her was, before we go any further, I just want to let you know that in July of 2017, I got out of prison after serving 28 years. And so the first comment that I make to him is how strange it was that she didn't comment on this. Like, her response to that message was literally, how do you describe yourself? And I was like, I think she's a robot. And he's like, yeah, maybe you're right. And then the second question I asked him, which again, I'm not sure anybody else would ask this question. I said, do you mind me asking, was it for murder? And he said, yeah. And he told me that um, when he was 14, he had joined a gang. He told me that his, his mom was an addict. I think he said his dad was in prison. And that at 14, he joined a gang. And at 19, he was convicted of a double homicide. He did not pull the trigger, but he had orchestrated it. And that he was initially sentenced to the death penalty. And a couple years into his sentence, this was overturned. And he said that he knew at this moment that his life had been saved for a reason. And he got his GED. He got his associate. He got some sort of a certification in counseling. And at this point, he had been out for a year or so. After 28 years of being behind bars, he had two jobs. He had a car. He had his own apartment. He was just full of gratitude. And I told him, I said, I don't judge you at all. I said, you know, I could have killed somebody when I was drinking and driving, you know, like that could have been me. Like I just came from a more privileged background, right? But there's no difference between me and Marvin. Like we're the same. And when it got to my stop, the bus stop, I got off and he got off with me. And that's when he told me that he had, his stop had been four four or five stops back prior. And he said that he just wanted to to stay on the bus to keep talking to me because he was enjoying talking to me so much. And I gave him a hug and I told him how amazing I thought he was. And we became Facebook friends. And I still hear from him every once in a while. I keep asking him to come on the podcast, but he keeps blowing me off. Um, But I just remember walking home and I was just, my entire body was just vibrating, like vibrating. And I just felt so connected to the universe. And I just kept having these experiences with strangers, like so many Lyft drivers or Uber drivers. I, you know, I opened up to one of my Lyft drivers once and I ended up taking her to a few AA meetings, um, people at concerts, just everywhere. Me showing up, sharing my truth typically about my alcoholism or about being an adult child. And without fail, every single time that I did that, it would become crystal clear why our paths were supposed to cross. And so I just remember like thinking like, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? And I couldn't figure it out. And I would get so frustrated. I remember sitting in my therapist's office saying to her many, many times, like, I feel it. Like, I feel like there's big things that lie ahead, but I just can't figure it out. And like, when am I going to figure it out? When am I going to figure it out? But I ended up getting connected with this recovery coach and he called me up one day and he said, hey, I have this girl that's in a detox and she's looking for uh, recovery coaching, but she would like it to be more focused on adult child issues. And he asked if I had an interest in going up there and spending time with her. So I said, yeah, I would. 
So I started going up there. It was at this like really like, um, it's like a amazing, beautiful detox up in Marin County. If I ever relapsed, I'm totally going there. <laughs> it's so beautiful. They have, uh, I think there's like a goat and a ram there and the food, oh, the woman, I, if, I don't know if you're listening. If, I think I told her about my podcast. I, can't, I think her name is Sandy. If you're listening, God, you make the best damn food ever. But I started going up there and meeting with this girl, Jessica, and I'd sit with her every day and we'd read the big red book together. And I just talked to her about my experience. And I just remember I was on my way home and I've told this story before too, but you're going to bear with me because it's my hundredth episode and I'm allowed to tell my stories. Uh, driving over, driving back home over the Golden Gate Bridge, running down a dream was on by Tom Petty in the car. And then all of a sudden, like the idea for the podcast popped in my head. And actually what I was thinking about before that, the, I kept having all these like creative ideas that I was going to do and I, you know, crap out on all of them. The one thing that I had right before the idea for the podcast and kind of as a result of the experience that I had with Marvin and all the other ones that I'd had was that I wanted to start a blog called Talks to Strangers. <laughs> and then I also wanted to do something like with prisoners. So I watched this show called Love After Lockup, which some of you may be familiar with. But I, you know, through there, I learned that there were these, um, there were these prisoner, uh, like pen pal sites that you could go on. And I was just thinking, I'd been thinking about my experience with Marvin about how, who, he probably, he must have felt just so seen and heard by me. And I was just thinking about all of the other people, just like Marvin, who unfortunately weren't as lucky as Marvin to get out, but all these people that are in prison who are there because, yes, they committed a crime, but it most likely was probably a repercussion of of what they endured during their childhood. And I was just thinking about how cool it would be to give them an opportunity to tell their stories to someone. And so I started, like I went on this pen pal website and I started picking like guys and girls, but I was only picking people that like had a life sentence <laughs> because I, I didn't want them to like get out and, you know, kill me or whatever. Um, and so I started like reaching out to them, sending these them these messages, basically leading with the story of Marvin and then saying that, you know, I, if they would be interested in me in, in sharing their story with me, you know, purely just to be heard and seen. And I started correspond. This was during COVID. This was like in the first few months of COVID. I started corresponding with like a handful of them, but then it just got, it was like way too much. I should have just done one at a time. And then it just got super overwhelming and I just stopped responding to any of them, which is like kind of an asshole move. <laughs> it's kind of rude. Uh, but I stopped working on that. Um, but I do, I do want to do, I want to do a podcast. I want to do a, like a mini series. Like I have ideas for other, you know, limited series podcasts I'd like to do. And that is something that I'd like to do to like connect with prisoners and give them the opportunity to share about their childhoods. But so, yeah, so then I was on this like talks to strangers thing, but then I kind of gave up on that. And then, well, that was the thing with my therapist too, is because I just kept having all of these ideas and I'd be like super gung ho about them. 
And then I would just give up after a few months. And so when I would make that comment to my therapist all the time, like, I'm so afraid that it's not that I don't think I can achieve, like, the life of my dreams or a fulfilling career. I'm just so afraid that I'm always going to self-sabotage. But the reality of the situation was that none of those other things worked out because this is what I was supposed to be doing. This is what I was supposed to be doing. And so I was listening to this um, this spiritual talk the other day, and they were using this metaphor, which I think is um, beautifully illustrates my journey of starting this podcast. And I think it beautifully illustrates this adult child awakening that we are all on. Um, And so I just jotted down some notes from it. So all of life has meaning and purpose, and this meaning and purpose is beyond us, yet we are given the tools and resources to take us each step along the way. Much like a car driving through the fog at night, the headlights only light up just enough in front to keep going. Yet the driver has faith the headlights light up each section ahead as the driver approaches, and that's all they need to see. This has been my experience over and over and over and over and over again. I still don't believe it at times, right? Like, even though this has been my experience over and over and over again, uh, I forget this. And I'm sure, you know, we're going to have to all just constantly be reminded of this our entire lives, that we are just exactly where we are supposed to be. And I, I know wholeheartedly that you listening to me right now, this is all part of the plan. Like, I was out there suffering <laughs> in these horrible relationships, in a shitload of pain. All of you guys were out there doing the same damn, same damn thing, in a lot of pain, suffering. Yet what we couldn't see at that time was that it was preparing us for this moment right here, right now, where we get to join each other in this great awakening. Man, I I could get up on a damn (laughs) pulpit today. I've just been going the whole time. I'm at like 30-something minutes. I have not stopped. As you guys know, I share about how I overthink things when I'm uh, just recording by myself, but I'm on my game right now. Um, (laughs) shut up, Andrea. Um, yeah. So that's that. And I'm, I'm really excited for what lies ahead. I'm in the process of, you know, leveling up this community and giving you guys more while also make a living, you guys. Girls gotta eat. Girls gotta pay bills. Girls gotta feed a cat. But yeah, just thanks. Thanks for letting me be me. I feel so accepted by you guys. Why I created this podcast, it's like more than just normalizing this adult child thing. It's embracing this adult child thing and learning how to be okay with every part of our story. Because It is all part of the lesson and the purpose and the meaning that we all had when we came into this life. And I'm just blown away at the growth that I've seen within the community. This is the best community in the world. And how about you damn the join Patreon? Okay, how about you damn 
the join Patreon, where I host three weekly Zoom support groups, and I teased in our WhatsApp chat, so I have decided on the perfect theme song for the Shit Show Nation that I will be serenading you all with in the um, in the transition music, and it is the perfect song. Like, it just came to me uh, to earlier today. It is the perfect song because it's somewhat pirate adjacent. Uh, it is Yacht Rock, which you guys know. I'm a Yacht Rock whore. And it is the final song that the, the Yacht Rock cover band that I'm obsessed with, Mustache Harbor, it is the last song that they always play at their shows. And as I've shared in the past, going to those shows was also part of my journey in creating this podcast as well. So, you know, this is going to be fun or it's probably, it's going to be fun for me at least. Okay. It's going to be fun for me at least. Uh, next, uh, get, uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at adult child pod. And last but not least, Give me a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. You guys are slacking. You're slacking. Can I get some damn five-star reviews? Can you throw a girl a bone? Reflections in the waves spark my memories. Some happy, some sad. I think of childhood friends and the dreams we had. Live happily forever. So the story goes, but somehow we missed out on the part of gold, but we'll try best that we can to carry on. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Prior to Brian, did you have a broken picker or obviously not if you like didn't go out with him on the, after the second date? I mean, I stuck in for six months. <laughs> I, I, so I think that, oh my God, falling in love with potential is, mm. is a real thing that a lot of us, a lot of us have to, I don't necessarily think we need to grow out of it, but we need to manage, right? You need to learn how and this is a, just a process of experience, right? Like when does potential become true growth? And when, like you got this, I mean, if you believe in somebody, you got to kind of like let it evolve. If you're somebody who believes in transformation and I am, I've transformed myself. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, making well-intentioned decisions about the person that I should be in the face of whatever trauma or situation I was living, right? Like 
boom, this is a moment that can change me. I can be this person or I can be that person after going through this. And I want to be somebody who's open-hearted and loving because I believe in love and I believe in real, like ambitious connection, right? You and me against the world. Like that's, mm-hmm. that. I really, but I think part of me when I was much younger, like didn't believe it was going to be for me. So I had to struggle with self-worth, right? And the deserving. And it took some time. Like I had to work my way through a a lot of like really bad partners. But I was lucky with my bad partners too. My very first boyfriend uh, had, you know, abusive alcoholic parents. I was a teenager. I was super young. Um, I was a virgin, uh, I had grown up sort of like Catholic school kid, top of my class, super nerd. My older brother was really, really tiny, much smaller than me and picked on a ton. So he was bullied. And there was always this perspective of like our social sphere. Like as I grew up a year after him where people would be like, oh, you can't be mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, you're his sister. That's, you know, we couldn't look more different. And so I always felt like I didn't quite belong. I didn't quite fit in. Um, But I had like great parents who loved me, but were trying to live out the nuclear family role and were not supposed to be together. Mm -hmm. Right. So the models of like, I never saw my parents hold hands. After my dad died, I was going through photos and I found a photo of them in Hawaii. I know it was in 1984 because I was like, whatever, I was whatever age I was at that point. And I know my grandmother babysat me. No, 1981. Um, And they're together with lays on smiling in the same photo. Never saw that in my life. It's the only photo like this that I have. Right. Um, But, but they loved me and I had a great childhood. They didn't, they didn't drink, but the toxic energy was really there. And I learned in my life, sort of how to diffuse that. And mm-hmm. it became a thing that I do. I neutralize toxic energy. So I meet this, this boy who's like two years older than me. He was friends with my brother. My brother um, manifested a lot of his self-worth through doing. So he was a mechanical genius and he escaped from school and bullying through mechanics and the workshop. And so all the kids in the neighborhood who were like, riding little scooters and motorcycles and whatever would come to the house to hang out with my brother. Cause he could weld anything and fix anything. Um, and so punks and misfits and like edge cases were just sort of where I felt I belonged. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're part of, we're part of my context. And so the boy that I first, that was my first boyfriend, um, I was going to love him in a way, like I was going to be the one that showed him, you can be loved without being hurt. You know, all the Catholic bullshit, like turn the other cheek, you know? Uh, I don't know. I, I forgave and forgave and forgave. And he pushed and pushed and pushed the envelope. And, um, you know, I lost my virginity to him very young. Um, there was some weird social, like the first time I had an orgasm, he ran out of the room and told his dad that he thought I peed on him. I can't believe I'm telling you this on a podcast, but imagine how hard it is as a, as a girl to feel comfortable with your sexuality when you are literally a kid and the creepy dad (laughs) 
boyfriend knows this, that it just happened to you like a room away. Oh my God. Um, and um, mm. so it, it just like, there was so much visibility I felt mm-hmm. in the things that would have been private and sacred, just in the context of that one relationship lots of cheating on me with literally everyone, lots of breaking up and getting back together in extremely public ways, like at his prom, <laughs> you know? Um, and one day something like that was happening, some weird drama and I was <laughs> crying and he smacked me mm. to like smack me out of it. And something in me was like, wait a second, this is a line that I am going to be somebody different. If I accept this, I am not the same person after this. Mm-hmm. And I saw where it was going. And I, it's like a switch. There is an invisible line in the heart that I have. I think everybody has it that I only know I've crossed when I'm on the other side. And it's like, I'm on the other side. And there it was, that was it. I'm here now. I am not going to be in an abusive relationship. I'm, but it doesn't start as an abusive relationship. No, it right? never does. No. And I think the thing is too, is like having not um, being exposed to like domestic violence in your home, had you been exposed to that, you probably would have been okay with it. And that is, I think, the one benefit of, you know, not being exposed to physical abuse as a kid. I, there's so, I mean, like, there's so many benefits to not being exposed to it, but it's it's interesting how, like, the things we normalize, I think we normalize out of love and forgiveness and like potential, right? Like it doesn't have to be this way. It's not always that way. Like you talk to women who are in abusive relationships and they're like, well, he's not like this when we're alone. Right. I don't know if it's love though. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's trauma. (laughs) Well, sure. Yeah. But it doesn't start that way. Like if it was traumatic from date number one, nobody would have date number two. Right. Like true, but it's a trauma bond. I mean, so I don't know as much about this as you do. So I'm going to like absolutely take your take your word for it. But I wasn't really traumatized before. I just know that like in the span of a year of my first relationship where like six months into it, I had lost my virginity um, and his situation was like his parents were separated and he kind of had a lot of freedom and my parents were going through their start of separation. So my toxic vibe at home was something definitely like worthy of escaping from. So I'd go to his house after school and do my homework. And then slowly but surely, it was like just little, little things, little micro compromises of, oh, is that what you're wearing? Oh, what's wrong with what I'm what's wrong with what I'm wearing? Oh, it's a little revealing. Oh, okay, I'll change it. Oh, wait, Andrea, you're gonna hang out with Andrea? Yeah. I thought you, you know, like, oh, I kind of heard some stuff. I'm like, really? I've been friends with her for years. But okay. And then this weird little like edging me away from other people, slowly padding my world. And all of a sudden, like you look back and I mean, this happened in my marriage too. Like my, my husband was a wonderful, gregarious guy, like a golden retriever. Okay. Super nice. Never hurt me. Never raised my voice. Wonderful um, person to teach me how to be a great partner in all the ways that I think, you know, when you grow up with somebody, right. When you're, you learn it by doing, I feel Mm. like we can teach each other how to how to be good to each other by having strong, healthy boundaries and 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 having forgiveness and understanding and ambition as a couple, right? I don't know. I would not be the person I am if I had not had 
those relationships, but also if I had not stuck up for for myself, mm-hmm. the way I did it it doesn't start badly. But when you look back and you're like, oh my god, holy shit, am I far from where I was at the beginning? And if I think about my tuning fork, my super strong gut instinct, all of those little compromises that I made because what I want, what I want is stronger than what I know, right? I think also separating what we know from what we fear, right? Or what we know from what we want. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Something is loud inside of us, right? Uh, and for me, it's always been like the beacon of hope is really bright. Uh, but also the, the like, I don't want to fear. And so the thing that I have find all the time is I am not a person who holds back. I am a person who heals, so I am willing to get my freaking heart trampled on. After my first boyfriend died, uh, he was uh, killed in a tragic accident around my 16th birthday. Mm. I, I never had to wonder where he is. You know, I never had to go further down the road of abuse with him. He hit me once. I broke up with him. He tried to show me he could be a good boyfriend by having another girlfriend who was bad for him. And she made him go and rob a gas station. And in robbing the gas station on a night, he was hit by a taxi and killed. Oh, my God. I was 16 years old and this was my first boyfriend and I was absolutely ripped apart and destroyed. But there's a lot of things that happened even before that, that got me into this relationship where my reputation in school was trashed. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was branded a slut before I'd even lost my virginity because I happened to kiss a boy that had a girlfriend at my school and I didn't know. It's a whole story. Um, but like I was sexually assaulted by somebody else that night and he ran away and I had proof that I brought to a lawyer and we were going to get the guy who assaulted me, um, prosecuted and I needed to tell somebody I confided in a girl at school and it just spread like wildfire. And that day I was hauled out on the steps of my school and fight, 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 you know, and branded a slut in front of my entire high school. And I was a virgin. And I had to tell this girl that I had seen around that was the cool kid. She was so pretty and so popular. Like, it's true. I'm sorry. He did this. I didn't know that he was your boyfriend. I had no idea. But he lied and said I made the whole thing up. Mm. And so my toxic shame came from being like branded a slut before I'd even had any kind of experiences at all. And I know that that is part of what drove me into the arms of a guy who was, you know, probably bad for me. Mm-hmm. But so good for me in a lot of other ways, because all the lessons, like once you see the pattern, you will see it coming from a mile away, down the street, around the corner. I sniff that shit out. Any kind of little aroma of jealousy, control, weird. I know, I know. And I'm never going to fall for that again. That's extremely useful. So my list of no's has been more reliable than my list of yeses. Like the things that you want in your dream guy, I just know. Never again, never again, never again, never again, but hope for all of the, you know, all of the other, all the other things. So that's the way that I have lived my loves. Right. And I think it's been, I think it's been really good for me. So the answer is no, you didn't have a broken picker because. (laughs) I mean, there's been a lot of shit in there. (laughs) I think I say this in my, in my fifth episode, in my broken picker episode, where I talk about, it's like, everybody has shitty relationships, right? Like we find out what we don't we we find out what we want by finding out what we don't like and somebody mm-hmm. i don't want to say like normal but like somebody with a broken picker they they have these experiences and they're able to like pivot 
and like put it into practice in the next relationship like what you're saying like you sniff it from a mile away like I sniff and I'm like come on let's do it <laughs> well that's 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 interesting right because when it's what you know mm-hmm. and I think this is where for a lot of people it comes from the home right exactly so you know like you watch the way that your dad treats your mom and you watch the way, you know, your brothers treat their girlfriends and the way that they treat you and what you accept in the interest of like keeping the peace or keeping things moving forward or got to stay together for the kids or whatever those things are. Like it's internalized. Mm-hmm. I'm sure like, I don't know, there's, I've done the best job I can at parenting myself mindfully. Right. And knowing, okay, this just happened. Like your first boyfriend just died in a tragic accident and, and everybody thinks you're, you're a slut anyway. (laughs) I hate talking about this. I am still very ashamed of it, but you know, Mm. um, I didn't know how to have boundaries with my boyfriends after that. Mm -hmm. I didn't not have how to not throw myself all the way to like, you know, zero to a hundred, you know, Mm -hmm. stomping on the gas there. Um, cause I didn't remember how to go back to what I, to, to before I just believed in love. I wanted it to happen again. I didn't want to judge the next guy and the last guy. So yeah, it took, uh, it, it took a while, but that stayed with me. It definitely stayed with mm-hmm. me. That shame me. It's still in there. Well, your insight is profound. Thank you. So let's get to the juice. How I found you. I'm so glad I did. Honestly. Me too. Okay. I want, people want to hear all the details. I was, when was this? It was June, 2021. This is like, I, my first podcast episode was March 31st, 21. Well, it had just been aired not long before Mm -hmm. uh, because he was able to tell me Mm -hmm. like, you know, met on, met online. Yep. (laughs) Don't get ahead of yourself. (laughs) Met online on one of the apps, you know, he seemed handsome and, you know, Interesting. I, I I liked I liked what I saw. I like to connect with people quickly to just do a vibe check over video. Yeah, so not waste time. Also, just because again, like my gut, I feel like I trust it very much now, and um, I want to make sure that I don't get any weird TBGBs, right? Um, but yeah, also that there's chemistry, and we're going to be able to enjoy talking to each other. And so, in a five minute conversation, I thought, yeah, maybe you know. And I they are on the phone video, uh-huh. and. I know that he thought I was cute, like obviously, right? If you're, you know, you can kind of tell when someone's looking at you whether or not you, you know, you you find each other attractive. He's a very handsome man, right? Um, and uh, and so yeah, we made we made plans. We made a date for the night after, and uh, went to meet up at Original Joe's in San Francisco, and uh, had a had a drink and a drink. He's like, you know, if you you know if if you enjoy my company, maybe we can turn a drink into dinner, basically. And so we did. We just like the conversation flowed. It was so easy. Um, and we just ended up sort of like pub crawling all over North beach shooting pool. And I think three different places. And it's so interesting because it was in the pandemic and one of those hot summer nights where like, I was worried about walking on the sidewalk. There were so many people out, you know, packed and we had a great time. And it was, we just, we played pool at three different places. I probably had like four tequilas uh, in, in that time, which is a lot, but he was a gentleman. And 
I think I was, he put me in a taxi at, or an Uber at like just past midnight or something, gave me a kiss on the cheek and was like, can't wait to see you again. And I went home that night thinking, oh my God, I just had so much fun. Great first date. Cannot wait to see this guy again. And we totally hit it off. This is on, right? Like I, now I'm, I'm going to buy a steak. I'm going to make a dinner on the barbecue. Can't wait to hang out. And (laughs) he got sick. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Maybe. No, because he on my first date with him, I thought he he seemed boring. The next day is when I got the One Direction text messages. So, yeah. Oh, okay, continue. So then he gets. Did you make, guys make plans to hang out again, or you were just gonna I'm, connect? I'm forgetting now, but I think yeah, we were supposed to we were supposed to connect like the next day or the day after or something, and we were gonna see each other this week. We we're gonna go on a date like in a day or two, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought. I'm going to see this guy any like 24, 48 hours later for sure. And then he got sick, quote unquote. And then I was worried about COVID mm-hmm. because we were out amongst, you know, throngs of people. Um, but no, it wasn't COVID. He said it wasn't COVID, but he seemed to be literally like demolished on his ass Wednesday by Thursday. I was like, look, I'm kind of worried about you. Do you need me to bring you chicken soup? Like you sound really laid out. I'm not sure that you don't actually have COVID if you feel as bad as you do. And then he was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like I'll come tomorrow. And so I was expecting to make dinner on Friday night. And then he, I think texted me or something during the day and was like, Hey, do you mind if I come over a little early? And I said, you know, it's again, it's a beautiful afternoon. I've got this great patio. No problem. You know, great. Come over. And so two 30 in the afternoon, which to me was still in the middle of the, the work day. Right. I opened the door And he's there and he smells like the bar. He smells like, and I've worked at a bar. I worked at a place called Tailgate Charlie's in Ontario. (laughs) Tailgate Charlie's. (laughs) I have a bunch of Canadians listening. So if anybody's been to Tailgate Charlie's, hit me up. Let me know. I worked there for a hot minute. Um, but you know, the smell of like liquor on the floor the morning after, if you've ever looked like put together. it's kind of amazing how he can hold it together. And maybe if you've been around people who are severely alcoholic before, you can see things that I did not see, but I definitely smell that, you know, he had drinking and then it's like, but he didn't seem fucked up. He didn't seem like he wasn't slurring his words. He wasn't leaning over, Mm -hmm. wasn't acting inappropriately. Mm -hmm. He looked a little ruddy and he mm-hmm. like alcohol. And I was like, holy, like, this is, th- is this why he's been sick? Oh, did you think that then? Or was it not in- until after? I think, again, just like the optimism in me, the beacon of hope thing. That's like, first, I want to understand, right? Like, I, and I'm, I didn't feel like I was ever in any danger. And if I ever felt like I was in any danger, like things might've been different, but like, he is not a violent person. He, you know, like, uh, and, and he, again, like I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel unsafe and I, I really did have a wonderful date with him. And I was like, I was so looking forward to seeing him again. So when he showed up at my door and there's also this like social, what are you going to do? Be like, you smell like alcohol. Don't come into my house. Maybe, maybe that's the thing that I should have said. And maybe if he had been gross slurring, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. leaning or any of those things, 
but he wasn't, you know, clean shaven, put together, looked good. So I, well, I was just like, well, see how this goes. And, and I was in control. I thought mm-hmm. of the alcohol that night, right? I was going to make dinner. I had one bottle of wine. What did I, you guys do for the rest of the afternoon? Well, I mean, I had to finish work. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't remember. I think he just watched a little bit of TV and I probably wound down my day a little early. Um, and then, you know, I would have started cooking and then I, my, my place before was open. Like I had my living room and my a big kitchen Island. And where were you living then? Upstairs from here. Okay. Same apartment um, that the owners sold. It's too bad. <laughs> this is a spectacularly beautiful apartment that I used to live in. Uh, and uh, I love my building and the people who work in the building are good friends now. And I've got a lot of friends in the building who who own or, or rent other units. So this is like my community now. I didn't want to, I didn't want to. Um, but anyway, this one night, like, again, it was beautiful summer weather, June, somehow super warm in San Francisco, oddly. And uh, I kind of wanted to see like, okay, well, I've been looking forward to the second date. Let's see how this goes. So I, I made dinner. We shared a bottle of wine. I think we had maybe one cocktail either before or maybe after dinner. And then he went home. And somehow, without my seeing it happen, he drank an entire bottle of vodka. I think we watched a movie. And I remember, I know we watched a movie together about football I Do you think. know that he has like the worst taste in movies? Well, I only watched one with him and okay. it was a movie about football from the university that he went to. And he was extremely emotional about it. My dad was a guy who cried a lot and he was a really strong, tough guy. My dad, tough cookie, um, not alcoholic at all. Never drank, you know, um, didn't smoke, didn't do any of those things, but a super emotional guy cried a lot so to be sitting next to a guy who is weeping over football is not actually that unusual right Mm -hmm. it wasn't a turn off or anything it was just like well i could think it could be a plus right they have an emotional side yeah absolutely i kind of i don't remember if that was because i know it was still light out when we were watching that movie so we must have watched it before before dinner but when I, when after he left and I saw, I was like doing my kitchen cleanup and I saw the rings on the countertop, I was like, Oh, and I looked cause my, my, my fridge has like, uh, you know, that's where I kept all my wine and he saw me get the bottle of wine out. Right. Um, he drank a whole bottle of vodka. It wasn't, he didn't have to open it. It wasn't brand new, but there wasn't much missing from it. And like I live alone. Right. How many I- hours was he there? I don't remember. It was a few, it was a few hours. I think he was there for like, he, he was there from the afternoon into, into the evening. So a, a good, a good And did he seem like he got progressively drunk as the night went on? No. Okay. I didn't notice. And so like, so he, so the next, so I see this happen and then I'm like, Oh shit, we need to talk. Right. So the next time that we were able to talk, I don't know if it was one day after or, or, or I think it might've been the day after he obviously came clean about it. Cause I'm like, Hey, look, what I did think- you say? Hey, I just noticed this when you left. I'm like we need to, like, there's a problem here. Like we need to talk about, about this. I didn't see you drink a whole bottle of vodka. You drank a whole bottle of vodka. I didn't notice. I didn't see it in your body language. I didn't, I didn't see it happen, but it happened. Right. So the thing that I knew, but I didn't listen to when I opened the door proved itself out in a matter of hours. Hmm. 
But now what? Right now, now who do I want to be now in this moment? Me, right? I would. I believe that people can can change. Is this something that you that you want to stop? Can this become another date? Well, if you can go without drinking, then I don't see why I wouldn't want to see you again. But can you? And I'm. I talk to my therapist. I have a great therapist. Uh, and, you know, really cool, really helpful. It gives me resources, tons of books. Um, and so we talked about it and I went into my Amazon list today to see, like, I think it must've been the day after I, or the day that I had therapy. Um, I had a bunch of books on, uh, on how to quit drinking mm-hmm. and I, bought them cause I wanted to read them myself and, uh, I ended up, uh, giving them to him, but, um, I, you know, I, I gave him a little time to see like, you know, would you be able to, to actually not drink? And he couldn't go five days without drinking again. So I think that there were a couple of days where he felt like he was sort of like getting past it. But let's back up. What did he say to you though, in that conversation? He admitted that obviously, yes, there's no hiding it. I think is, is, is what he said. There's, it's not, it, you know, there's no hiding it. Um, and he goes, there's even a girl that I dated who made a podcast about me. And I was like, what? And he said, uh, he said, yeah. And so he, he gave me enough information about your podcast for me to be able to find it. So he didn't tell you the name. He did not. (laughs) Did he say that? Like, I want to stop or I've tried to stop. I, honestly, I'm having a hard time remembering. All I remember that is that like, he owned up to it. Like he doesn't, he doesn't lie. Right. He's very forthcoming and I think very apologetic, but, and he will let you believe in him. But I, and again, I like, show me, show me if you want to show me if you can, I am willing to to watch and see. Right. Um, Did you, so then you said that he went five days. Did you see him in that time period? No, no, and then he just oh, he just told you I I drank like he just ended up saying it. He was going a few days not drinking, and then he's like, "I'm going to go shoot a game of pool. Do you want to come?" And he sounded fine over the phone, but I believed that he was drinking, and so I went in an Uber all the way across San Francisco, knowing that he would not be there, mm. and so that I could again like this is I'm going to close the loop right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he, between, between the time that I left Mission Bay and got to North Beach, he had hightailed it out of there. Um, and I think he was too drunk to even know that I was, that I was calling. So yeah, that was like, again, that's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine to, to prove me, unfortunately, right. That this is something that, that again, like, it's like, you, you know, a lot more about it than I do. It's a disease. It's, you know, um, it's, fine. It's honestly, it's honestly fine. But I wanted to be fair to myself too. Right. And my process with all of my relationships and the way that I learn, um, it's the first time that I've been exposed to somebody who, who has this level. I mean, of course there's been people that I've known socially, but not somebody that, that I had gone on a date with, right. There's also not somebody that I had not seen it. Or if I, if I have been, and I haven't noticed, it wasn't, Mm -hmm. wasn't bumping up against it. Right. Yeah. So I think I wanted to learn. I wanted to trust. I wanted to believe in him, but it's useful. 
pattern recognition for me. You guys, this is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Watch it be nice. Don't forget. Would it be nice, guys, if we could do this? <laughs> Thank God I didn't do this right because then nobody would be listening right now and you and I wouldn't be talking right now. So thank God I didn't have that good judgment. When we talked on the phone um, and I was like, you know, I, I I think I I made some statements that you were like, well, actually, no, it's a disease. It's not a choice. And I mean, like part of me feels like at some point there has to be a choice. And I want to ask you about your relationship with with that choice, because you decided at some point to just like I did. Right. My life can go this way or it can go that way. I am choosing to mm-hmm. be to let myself grow into this person as hard as it might be. I'll try. Right. What made you do I'll answer that question. But first I wanted to ask you at what point, when did you end up listening to the podcast? Oh God. I don't remember. I wish, uh, can you, was it like before that week? Like, was it like, was it like after everything happened? Well, it was obviously after our second date. I don't think it took me very long to find you because the first episode's just part of the story. Like was the second part of my story with him out yet? I'm, I'm not sure. Probably. Um, probably because again, I wanted to listen, right. It wasn't once I heard your first episode, I couldn't <laughs> not keep listening. <laughs> okay. Uh, cause I'm learning a lot from you and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, very easy to like you and to relate to a lot of the things you're saying, even though I think that, you know, yeah, for sure. We've probably had, you know, different childhoods and different experiences, but a lot of very similar experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to see when, cause like, I didn't tell the rest of it until episode six, which yeah, that was, that came out on March, on May 5th. So yeah, you would have heard it. So anyway, Um, I, I, I I think it's, uh, did you ever tell him that you listened to it? I, I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. Uh Yeah. I, I, again, like I would have told him, like I went, I went looking for it, you know, of course you can't hear that. I am, I have, this is so much of a problem for me that an ex-girlfriend of mine made a podcast about it and not go and listen to that podcast, especially if what I'm trying to do now is like, I have this very rare opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. a pattern that I know I don't want in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. I appreciate his, uh, his candor and I probably the impossibility of hiding uh, yeah. the problem. I, I really like, mm. so when my dad, I, I told you my dad had, uh, you know, he was, he was sick. Um, he got a kidney transplant in 2013, probably from like the healthiest 80 year old man that exists. I picture him in like Lederhosen, you know, breathing Swiss air, but this old guy who passed away um, gave, I think he gave his liver, he, I know he gave both of his kidneys because my dad got one of them and other stuff too. I think five patients got organs from this extremely healthy man who passed away, probably from an aneurysm. And my dad shared a room with uh, the guy who got the liver transplant. And um, I think that he was struggling because his duodenum, the thing that connects your liver to your gallbladder, is also cirrhotic. If you are a really heavy drinker and you get, you know, cirrhosis of the liver to the point that you need a transplant, it's not just the liver. It's also the connective mm-hmm. tissue, right? Um, and I don't think it's as, po- it's as easy or even possible, potentially, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, to, to transplant the entirety of it, mm-hmm. right? 
the liver, the duodenum, all the way to the to the gallbladder. So this guy had this precious gift, you know, this incredible this incredible liver that, I mean, my dad looked like Santa Claus. He had pink in his cheeks for the first time in a decade when I saw him like in the hospital bed a day after his transplant. It was incredible. This, this man that shared his room couldn't the, the liver that he got because the rest of his body around it had, had been so affected. And that like, that's not, I mean, I really want the love that I invest in to last. Like my, my dad got sick and he died. He worked so hard to live though. He drank water. He ate protein. He exercised. He played golf. You know, he tried to have relationships like that, you know, a, a social life and things like, I feel like he, he worked at it. He really worked at it. And he wanted to be a dad more than anything in the world. I always felt super loved. And I know he worked his ass off to live well so that he could be there for me. I want that from my partner, right? And I think I remember telling Brian about this because it was 2021. I had lost my dad in November, you know? Um, so it's for me a total non-starter to, to be with somebody who's not going to make it their fucking job, right? To be there for me and the family that we, that we create together. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And I told you this, but that, that he had told me when this was going on, that he had shared the podcast with the girl that he went on a date with, but it was like, not like, because she, because I drank a whole bottle of vodka. <laughs> it was more like, just cause I'm proud of you. That's what he said. I'm like, that's so fucking weird. He's like, why? I'm just proud of you and what you're doing. <laughs> but I mean, I think, in, I think there's like multiple things can be true at once. It's sort of like a fan dance. You know what I mean? Like you never see the whole thing, right? There's like this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, this thing. I, I am grateful to have found you. Thanks, Brian. I really hope he can get it one day. Um, but thinking about it, like, what is that moment for me? You know, I think about one thing. So, you know, when I, I just remember the thing with me is like how much of a hot mess I was when I drank, you know, like I was so fucking sloppy. I had no friends, Mm. but I remember being a senior in high school, sitting alone with nothing to do, drinking alone and just thinking how, when I went to college the next year, that everything was just going to be different and that the real problem wasn't my drinking. It was that I had become the school slut in the seventh grade and that this had tarnished me and just left this mark on me. But that once I got a fresh start somewhere, then everything would be fine. And at that point I'm drinking daily. And then when I get to Florida state, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm drinking around the clock and things weren't different. People didn't like me. You know, my roommates hated me. I was still getting kicked out of parties. Um, and then I got so, so sick. Like I got so sick and like went through delirium tremens for the first time. You know, I'd become physically dependent on alcohol and, um, ended up going into, I was hospitalized twice in one month. The second time was because I drank rubbing alcohol (laughs) because my mom had taken my fake ID and I was about to go into rehab again. And um, 
I couldn't buy anything. I tried to, I went to a bunch of stores and I couldn't get anyone to sell it to me. So I, I drank rubbing alcohol and then had to go into the hospital before I went into treatment. I remember thinking when I went into treatment that time that it's just alcohol. Like I'll just do marijuana maintenance. Like I just need to not drink. Smoking weed's okay. And I had like a spiritual experience when I was in there where I realized just that I couldn't do anything that like if I smoked weed, eventually I would drink. And, um, you know, there was also a part of me, I've known what alcoholism was since I was seven years old. You know, I knew it was a disease. I'd been in and out of rehab since I was 12, 13, uh, 13, I guess is when I went to my first outpatient. 14 was when I went to my first inpatient, but I was very aware that it was a disease And I was always, I always kind of knew in the back of my mind that like one day I was probably going to need to stop. I had no idea that it was going to get so bad so fast, you know? And so, you know, I decided I'm going to do this. And um, I relapsed because I decided that I wanted to date somebody that was in the program and they decided they wanted to date somebody else. And so then I took a pill and that like, you know, started the next relapse. But I don't think it was a matter of like, I think that I can control this. It was more like, I'm in too much fucking pain. I need to take something, you know? But I don't know why, what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, I I truly do believe that it is, it's our higher power. Now, why do some people have that experience and other people don't? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Most people don't get sober. And I'm just so grateful that I stayed sober because I think that so many people who aren't able to is because they haven't looked at the trauma piece. And so thank God I realized it was my trauma because I was never close to relapsing because I knew it wasn't going to fucking work. But if I hadn't figured it out, I would have fucking killed myself, you know? Mm. And there are a lot of people who do, who do end up taking their life after 20 years of sobriety, 30 years of sobriety. And it's because I don't think they've ever like looked at the trauma piece. So I think that's part of it too. It's like, it's so, the wounds are so deep, you know, it's so much, it's so much deeper than just the alcohol, you know, there's so many other, but I think unfortunately you have to get sober before you're in a position where you can really look at that stuff that's deeper, you know? Well, I am, I mean, I, I know we only met, but I've been listening to you for a while now, extremely proud of you. Um, and it gives me, and I'm sure a lot of other people hope that it is possible to stick with if, if you, I think if you really want to i know i don't know what it is you know i don't fucking know what it is um and then opiates we're talking about like a whole nother ball game you know I, I mean, yes that's such a problem right now yeah that's why i left san francisco <laughs> it's hard. i don't know any better anywhere else like it is really really scary and really sad how i'm so sad for all the people who got into this because they're like Again, like I'm Canadian. I come from a place where mm-hmm. it's possible to go to the doctor no matter whether or not you have a job. Um, but I I know, and it's just cheaper. I mean, 
the consolidated buying power of the United States behind just the pharmaceutical industry, besides mm-hmm. if everybody was one buying entity, how affordable it would be for people here. Oh my God. Did you um, listen to the episode that I had with the guy that w- was formerly homeless in no. San Francisco? Oh, that no. was early on. You should listen to it. That was really good. I, send me the uh, episode. I will. I will. Yeah. It was early. Yeah. Um, no. So then, so I'd love to hear, I mean, you've talked about it some already, but what have been some ahas that you've realized since listening to the podcast? Like what have been some pivotal shifts that you you know, you've experienced from listening? I mean, I, I think I just feel seen in a lot of ways. And you talk about things that strike that chord thing, you know, like, oh, wow, that's that's in my heart. That's true. Uh, the most recent one was toxic shame. Like I talked about it earlier on. Um, toxic shame is a thing I think a lot of people have from whatever experience that they went through that gave it to them, right? Um, and then again, like this becomes a relationship in yourself, right? It becomes a way in which you relate with yourself that you have to learn and navigate like so much therapy. I've done so much therapy, inner critic, inner voice, the, you know, the multiple voices in my head that I've had at, you know, difficult, (laughs) the one that is punishing me, the one that is consoling me. And the one that is laughing at the dialogue even happening, because there's no point, right? There's no point. Mm-hmm. I I know that all of us are little kids inside, right? Struggling to accept ourselves, to love ourselves, to be good, to be, to be, to be a good girl. I want to be a good girl. I want to be loved. I want to be, you know, top of the class. And um I want to be loved and accepted. And I want to love and, and accept. And that is a process of learning and forgiving and adapting and keeping standards extremely high. Um, And I just know that through the stuff that I have gone through and the stuff that I know people like you have gone through, that it is, it is possible to believe in better and you don't have to see who you are. This is like a big problem I have had is seeing myself in the future. I cannot do it, but I can see other people in the future <laughs> that, that I'm, I'm building my life with. Uh, and I can also recognize that every choice accumulates, you know, and it'll take me closer towards or further away from what I know is, is healthy and happy, healthy and happy, right? Um, And so it's literally one choice at a time that you make over and over. A gathering of angels appeared above my head. They sang to me this song of hope. And this is what they said. They said, come sail away, come sail away, sail away. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that you could benefit from. As always, I know that you did. And as always, if you didn't seek help, damn the join Patreon, okay? Um, I'm curious what you guys think about the the story. My dream would be that one day, if both of the Bryans got sober and I had them on the podcast, like that would be amazing. I mean, crazy shit has already happened, right? 
crazy shit has already happened with this podcast. Uh, I think that that's probably not out of the realm of, of possibilities, folks. That, um, let's see. Let's, let's stick around so we can see if maybe that's part of the whole plan, too. Uh, um, all right. Well, I love you guys a lot. And, um, I wanted to share that my, my phone use, you know how you can see, um, on your phone, that my phone usage is down 50% since, uh, in the prior month compared to the prior month. So we're making some progress, folks. We're making some progress. Probably need to still cut it down <laughs> a lot more, but at least we're moving in the right direction. Um, next week I am talking to her name's Laura Anderson. She is a therapist, but she specializes in religious trauma and abuse. So interesting conversation. Tells us all about her story. She grew up in a an evangelical family up in the woods in is it Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. So it's it's a goodie. And I will see you next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child of Space Bra. Super Mama. Super excited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.